Entrepreneur on Fire, episode 146. Welcome to EntrepreneurOnFire.com, where remarkable entrepreneurs share their inspiring story. Let their journey illuminate your path to success. And now, your host, John Dumas. Fire Nation, do you have a product or service you would like to share with the over 150,000 unique downloads Entrepreneur on Fire receives every month consisting of passionate and engaged entrepreneurs? Chris Brogan sponsored an episode for his book, The Impact Equation, and saw great results. If you would like to share your message with Fire Nation, go to SponsorEOFire.com to find out more. That's SponsorEOFire.com. Okay, let's get started. I am simply thrilled to introduce my guest today, Damien Thompson. Damien, are you prepared to ignite? Light it up. (laughs) All right. Damien is the founder and CEO of Lynchpin, a content marketing agency that helps startups gain users faster, retain them longer, and maximize their profit. He believes the best way to build a business is by building a relationship with your audience using content marketing. Given Fire Nation a little overview, Damien, but why don't you take a minute, tell us about you personally, we want to get to know you, and then take another minute and tell us about your business. Okay, sure. Uh, so I've been in the, the technology business for the past 20 years. Yes, I'm, a, I'm an old man. So uh, <laughs> I've been around in software mostly, software companies working for everything from the big, the McAfee's, the Semantics, the big enterprise software vendors to uh, stepping out on my own and doing a startup a couple of times. Um, sales and marketing is what I've been focusing on for the last, you know, the last two decades. And it's, uh, I'm very passionate about uh, building a business through marketing. Very cool. I really look forward to delving more into that later in the interview. But before we do, Damien, we always start off every Entrepreneur on Fire interview with a success quote. It's kind of our way of getting that motivational ball rolling. So take it away. What do you have for us today? I actually have two, so, but they're both on the, along the same lines. Great. So the first, the first is Warren Buffett, uh, the great you know, the Oracle of Omaha. Oh, yeah. Uh, and and his, the quote I love from him is, unless your answers are clearly better copy the answers of your betters. Uh, I love that one. And then there's another one from Salvador Dali, the famous artist. Uh, those who do not want to imitate anything produce nothing. Those really do run along the same lines. Why don't you take one or both of them and bring it down to the ground level and share with us how you've actually applied that to your mantra, to your business? Yeah, I think the important thing is is that sometimes we get caught up in thinking we have to have the the big idea, you know, that we have to do something that's never been done before, and that's just not really the way the world works. You know, there really is nothing new under the sun. You know, success is about taking an idea, you know, iterating upon it, approving upon it, delivering it a different way, you know, focusing on a specific part of the market to deliver that idea to. So it's not about having this great big idea, it's about seeing somebody do something and saying, hey, I can do that just a little bit better, or I can deliver that just a little more consistently, and really having success with that. Well, take it down to the ground level, Damien. How have you improved something a little bit or more consistently in your actual business? Yeah, so for me, what that is, is, is you know, we're going to talk about content marketing a little bit. And, and content marketing is, is kind of a big buzzword right now in the community, you know, same way that kind of social media was a couple of years ago. And, and 
it's not new, right? Content marketing is authority marketing. Content marketing is educational marketing. It's this idea of creating a relationship with a, a prospect based on you give freely giving information to them to help them make an informed decision. So for me, what that really had come down to was as I looked at my business and said, hey, you know, as I kind of went into a new market, said, I want to focus on one delivery to one part of the market and do one thing. And that one thing was, was content marketing saying, so I'm not the only company in the world that sells copywriting services. I'm not the only company in the world that sells copywriting services to startups. But what we want to, want to do is say, here's our overall view of the world. Or our view is, is that you want to you, you want to filter your customer, your prospects. You want to make sure you're working with the right people at the right time. And the best way to do that is, is to have a, a cohesive strategy of content marketing. And so what is that niche that you've landed upon? Startups. So for me, that's basically uh, working with companies uh, that are you know, in the early stage funded startups. So generally that's software companies or software as a service companies, um, both B2B and B2C. Nice. So that is your avatar. Those are your target market people that you really want to focus on. And that's just great to know going into a business or at least developing very early on because it really gets rid of all that extra noise that can take away that direct focus. You know, it, yeah. I mean, so when, you know, when I started, when I left the, the corporate world, you know, three years ago, I did, I did like what most people do when they first get into consulting, which is, you know, have laptop will work. So it didn't really matter. <laughs> you know, if, you, if you wanted some marketing consulting, I was your guy. But what happens quickly is, is you get pulled in a million different directions. And you know, if, if everyone is your market, then no one is your market. Right? If you really want to be, if you really want to add value to someone, you really have to understand where they're coming from and really be where they are. So it was really just a, an almost natural selection sort of thing for, for us in that I really decided I really wanted to niche down or really pick a market to go after. And I've been in, you know, I, I spent 20 years in, in software, in software as a service. It's what I feel comfortable with. It's what I enjoy. I like talking technology. I like talking, you know, startups. So it just kind of was this, this it kind of selected me more than anything else. But the big thing for, for us was, was saying no to other business. And I think it's a, a, an important lesson for a lot of entrepreneurs is that it's so easy to say, well, hey, you know, at the end of the day, copywriting is copywriting is copywriting, right? Understanding what value you bring to someone, understanding what pain points a product solves. You know, I, you can do that for medicine. You can do that for technology. Um, so it, it's really, it, it, it's very, you know, it's, it's easy to kind of get lured by the siren song of money and say, hey, well, we'll just do a little bit here and a little bit there. But I don't think you're really adding value if you kind of do all things to all people. Well, not nearly as much. And if you're accepting everything that's coming your way, you're never really becoming, quote unquote, known for something. But because you've niched down, because you really focus on startups and technology, your name becomes synonymous with what you do. And that's really important to get that referral engine moving. So there's a lot of great reasons for doing what you're doing. Thank you for sharing that, Damien. And it's a good transition to our next topic, which is failure, which are obstacles and challenges that entrepreneurs face on their journey. And one for you, a challenge and an obstacle you had to overcome was just learning how to say no and not just accepting all the business that came your way. But take us back to a time when you faced another failure or a challenge or an obstacle that you really had to overcome and then share with us how you overcame that failure, that obstacle. 
Sure. So the one that kind of first jumps to my mind is uh, my first startup. So we left, uh, I left at the time a very cushy job with uh, McAfee and doing quite well. And this is 2000, so during the, the, the dot-com boom. Uh, left and was a co-founder of, of a startup uh, in a, what we called this time a managed service, which would, today we would call software as a service, but it was before that word was really used. Um, and the failure there was is that we had a great idea. Um, which is basically going into big companies and saying, hey, we'll manage your security for you. Um, and when I say security, I mean technology security, so like firewalls and antivirus and that sort of thing. And, you know, let us be the experts. We'll manage it for you. And it was a good idea, uh, but we ran out of money before we could get profitable. Um, so, you know, you have this kind of big growth and you go from, you know, zero to 50 employees in six months and you learn all this stuff. Um, and then only to see that business kind of, you know, wither and die when you can't, when, when you're kind of ahead of the market. So um, it was a very difficult lesson for me at the time. You know, it was very, obviously you tie a lot of your, your you, in a startup, you work a lot of your, you know, it's crazy hours. It's a lot of emotion. It's a lot of, you know, new challenges every day. Um, and you have all these, the highs are very high and the lows are very low. So. Um, it was it was very tough at the time to 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 see see that not have the level of success that we hoped it could have. Where were you physically located at this point? I was in Sydney, Australia at the time. So I'd I'd moved out to Australia in the late '90s uh, to help McAfee set up their Asia Pacific offices out of Austra- out of us out of Sydney. And so you were physically going into these bigger companies and pitching your services. Yeah, so like very much the target markets were basically large, large law firms and uh, kind of enterprise businesses. So going into these large enterprises and saying, "Hey, don't have you know, don't spend your IT resources on learning how to you know set up firewalls internally or antivirus or intrusion detection systems. We're experts in this field. Let us do it for you, and and we'll manage it for you." Um, but again, at the time, you know, we had to raise one one point eight million dollars. You know before we could even really start because we had to build our own data set. This was before Amazon Web Services and this was really before, you know, the quote unquote cloud. So there was no utility computing. You had to go out and build it yourself. So we had to go invest in servers and, you know, backup generators and power and actually build our own infrastructure to be able to go out and sell it. So went out and raised a bunch of money, built the infrastructure, started getting some clients on board, um, but just didn't... Uh, didn't didn't get we had a couple of you know a couple of outside factors which always happen you know 2011 which was kind of our second year in business um, we had kind of double whammy of both the dot com crash in April and then the 9/11 attacks that year as well which made it a very difficult market for us to go out and raise our kind of Series B to raise the second round of capital um, so when we couldn't raise the second round we had to you know shutter the business. Nope, we are definitely living in a different time with different barriers of entry. So, Damien, what would you pull out as a major lesson learned from that experience? Yeah, I think there's a couple. Um, you know, I think one of them is that timing matters, right? So, you, I mean, some, I don't want to say luck's involved, because that, that's a bad way of looking at it, but, you know, timing matters. And I think the best way to control timing is, is you kind of have to build at the speed the market dictates. So, you know, we had we're kind of you know the bleeding edge, the cutting edge idea at the time of you know of companies outsourcing their security to someone else. Now this happens all the time now, but you know a dozen years ago it was kind of new. Um, but you know, in kind of today's methodology, if you'd use like a lean startup methodology, it'd be about you know building a minimum viable product rather than going out and building. And like you said, like the time changes. Today is better. You wouldn't have to build this data center. You could you know lease enough 
power to build your customers. So you go out and kind of build your customer base. It's very much more customer focused now than product focused. Um, the other is, you know, the great ideas don't always win. You know, just because you have a great idea, just because it's a neat new application or, 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 or a way of doing something, doesn't matter. If, if you can't get a groundswell of customers willing to pay you for that idea in a, in a timely matter, you know, you're, you're going to have, you're going to have troubles. So really for me, it was more about, you know, taking a, a customer centric focus than a, you know, neat technology focus or, you know, it wasn't, it's not about the tool. It's about finding customers that want to use that tool. A groundswell of customers. I love that visual. Damien, we're going to use that to transition now to the other end of the spectrum. And this is the aha moment. This is that light bulb that just comes on for entrepreneurs on a daily basis on small levels and weekly and monthly on different levels. But every now and then we do just have that one big light bulb that comes on and we just say, wow, that's going to resonate so well with my target market, with my target audience. And it doesn't always work out, but take us back to a time in your journey when you had an aha moment and then share with us how you turned that moment into a success. Yeah, it's, it's, we've been kind of talking about it a little bit. My big aha moment was one that I fought against quite a bit. And that's this idea of targeting down, this idea of niching down. Um, you know, I'm, I'm lucky in that I have sought out, you know, it, it, early in my career, I used to complain that I'd never had any real true mentors. You know, I'd, I really, I was looking for the mentor. I really wish one of my bosses would pull me under his wing and, you know, teach me the ways of the world. Right. And I complained and complained and complained that I never had one. And it's funny, what it turns out is, is that if you want a mentor, you have to go out and find them, right? You, the people that are successful, people that know what they're doing, people that have real value to impart, aren't looking for people to give it to, right? <laughs> they're, they're busy doing things that make them successful. So you have to almost, you know, force yourself upon them to show that you're worthy and you deserve it. And in the last few years, I've purposely looked to, you know, put myself in situations, you know, the great Jim Rohn used to talk about how you're the, you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. Right. And so, you know, for me, it's been about really putting myself around people that I, I admire and I learn a lot. And a lot of these are very entrepreneurial people where I'd kind of come up in this you know, even though I'd left twice to do startups, still very much just kind of corporate thinking, right? I just kind of, that's just kind of where I'd come from. So in the last few years, hanging around with real entrepreneurs and dealing with, you know, and meeting and becoming friends with these real entrepreneurs, they'd all tell me the same thing. You know, you really have to niche down. You really need to f- pick a very small part of the market. And I have a friend, Dan Andrews, that used to talks about, you know, you know, pick a niche and then niche even further. You know, niche so far, it hurts. And while... Uh, philosophically, I agreed with this. It was really hard for me to do. Yeah. And I, come, I come from enterprise software where you you win a part of the market and then you want bigger and bigger. So you start enterprise, then you want small and medium, then you want consumer. Or, you, know, you start a consumer and work your way up. So it was the exact opposite. It was the antithesis. It was the idea of go big. And so for me, niching down was a really hard one. I, just, I couldn't grasp it. And then you know, my big aha happened probably about – 12, 18 months ago where I finally said, you know what, now I get it. And like you said earlier, it's, it, it's true. It's not just about the addressable target market. It's about, you know, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy of if, if you become known for something in this area, it becomes easier to attract other people in that area. All right. So if, if I'm just a content marketer, if I run just a content marketing agency, well, I'm just like, you know, a thousand other digital marketing agencies out there. 
right? But if I become, hey, you know, really, we're a content marketing agency for startups. You know, even more specific, we're a content marketing agency for, you know, early stage startups, right? Hey, we're a content marketing agency. You know, you start being known because you have to be because you're dealing with all these other people and that, you know, you, you become this, you know, you know, ideally will become, you know, will be seen as, you know, eventually the, the go-to guys in that marketplace. But even if we're not, you just start building relationships and it becomes easier to, you know, it's, it's one of those, I joke about, you know, Hollywood actors, how they're, they struggle for years and, you know, can't rub two nickels together. And then as soon as they get famous, they can't pay for anything anymore, right? They get <laughs> so cars for free and they get clothes for free. And it's this really weird, unfair way the world works. And business is the same way. When you're struggling, you need that first couple of customers to keep the lights on. And they're really hard to find. But all of a sudden, when you have them, you know, they're th- you, business, you know, literally gets, you know, just introduced to you. You get referred. You become referable. And everyone – and so it comes this, you know, your success begets success. And that was my big aha. No, definitely. When we become just known for that topic, for that niche, that niche down niche, then your name is just on the tip of everybody's tongue when it comes to that specific niche. And when somebody like Inc. Magazine is looking to talk to somebody about that specifically, you're the person that they're going to interview and you're the person that they're going to do a profile on. And that's just the kind of incredible stuff that doesn't happen when you're just in a sea of people that are just not willing to niche double down, as we've previously talked about. Have you had a situation like that where you've just been the go-to guy that it's just been a situation where you've had this incredible opportunity because of how much you have niched down? Yeah, I, I, I wouldn't say anything's happened. You know, nothing's huge yet at this point. You know, we're still relatively new in this, you know, in, in, fo- in this level of focus. But what I have found is, is you know, we are far more referable. So you know, when someone refers you, you know, they're giving up a lot of their own social capital to do so, right? Totally. So they only want to ref- they only want to refer you if they know you're going to deliver for them. And when you're broad, it's hard for people to do that. Um, whereas now I'm finding is you know our, our early customers. You know, our early people that we still have still work for, it's easier for them to refer us now, and, and our pipeline gets bigger because they're referring us. You know, I think the the big, you know, kind of, you know, I'm gonna skip ahead here just a little bit. You know, there there hasn't been any huge I've made it moments from that perspective, but there has been. You know, you it, it's one of the things people get wrong about networking. You know, people they they network with. You know their peers, which is not what you're supposed to do, right? What, right. what you want is you're supposed to be where your customers are, right? Not where your competitors and partners are. You know they already know everything you know, right? So that's where everyone naturally goes. They actually want to go to industry events or industry forums or you know, but there's no value to be gained there. There's no value for you to give there. Whereas now, if you have a very you know very tightly defined addressable target market or niche. That's where you want to go hang out. And what happens is, oh, you need to talk to John. John is the guy that interviews entrepreneurs daily, right? Boom. You know, there's the, John does this for, you know, John does X for Y. Yes. People, people want to pigeonhole you. It's human nature, right? We want to be able to classify people. So if it's, oh, Lynchpin, um, they kind of do stuff. They do website stuff, I guess. There's no value there. But if Lynchpin, you know, does content marketing for startups. You know, that, 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 that's what people want to be able to do. Oh, I know a guy that's looking for that. And then the conversation starts. So you alluded to it, Damien. Have you had an I've made it moment? 
No, I would say it's too early. You know, the only kind of, you know, pat on the back, I've made it moment, which is, is not a huge thing, but I, I must admit that I you know, got a little smile from it is uh, we, we were featured uh, just a, a quote for 2013 marketing predictions in uh, the Content Marketing Institute's 2013 uh, trends prediction. You had Joe Paluzzi on here a couple weeks ago. I yeah, think. and I was just hanging out with him in Las Vegas for New Media Expo blog world. Just a great guy. Yeah. So we were, you know, so I'm a big fan of CMI, obviously, you know, in content marketing. Um, and yeah, so we were just, we, we were one of the, you know, 50 odd predictions, you know, predictions for 2013. So that was, a we, we, we were proud of that for a day and a half and then, then we got back to work. Oh, no, rightfully so. That's great. So Damien, let's talk about your current business right now. Pull out one thing that's just really exciting you at this moment. I think the most exciting thing for me personally about the business is, is I talked earlier about my biggest lesson, uh, and I've had two startups in, prior to this, and it, is that timing really does matter. And in this one, timing just seems perfect so far. Yeah. You know, there's, I don't go, I don't have a conversation with, you know, generally my conversations, you know, with customers or prospects are, you know, a founder or co-founder of the business. You know, generally these businesses are, you know, 10 or people or less. And, you know, I, I've yet to have a conversation where they're like, that's a horrible idea. I see no value in that. You know, that, that, so I haven't really had that yet. It's now we might not, we're not going to work with everyone, obviously, and we're not always a great fit for how, how we want to work. But, you know, I've yet to have a conversation with someone saying, you know, we have problems, you know, creating good, we know we want to do content marketing, but we have problems creating content because we're only 10 people and we're focused on product and all the rest of it. Or, you know, hey, we're creating pretty good content, but we don't really have a cohesive strategy for how to deliver it. You know, we don't, haven't really done, we haven't really taken the time to, you know, define our personas and who our ideal client profile is and what a, a, a proper outreach strategy looks like. So, the thing I'm excited about is every time I talk to a startup founder or, or you know, or the, the kind of head marketer in one of these startups is, is there seems to be a good fit between what they're looking for and what we do, whether they go with us or not. So that's exciting. What is your vision for the future of Lynchpin? Yeah, you know, I, I mean, I would love to be, you know, I talked a little bit earlier, I mean, I'd love to be the go-to company for this. I'd love to be known as Lynchpin is the company is the content marketing agency for startups. If you are serious about growing your business uh, through content marketing and you're a, you know, an early stage software startup or SaaS startup, you've got to talk to Lynchpin. Um, I don't really put, you know, I think revenue goals are great and all, but you know, I would rather be, you know, to me, like we said before, success begets success. If we become that, you know, you know, the, if we become the Seth Godin of software startups, right? I mean, that, that would be ideal, right? It would be that, you know, these are the guys that the thought leaders about, you know, software startups or SaaS startups and content marketing. No, that would be great. And since you brought up Seth Godin, does your company name have anything to do with his book, Lynchpin? It does. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a huge, I think if you're, if you're a marketing guy, you're a Seth fanboy. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, I mean, he's been seminal, you know I mean? I, so, you know, more than, I mean, Lynchpin's a great book. I've always loved the word Lynchpin. It's always been kind of so, kind of resonated. It, it's not why we named the company that. It, I mean, it's, it is, but, you know, it, it, like, it's not even the most impactful book that he wrote for me. To, me. to me, you know, his whole, you know, sets big ideas, you know, to me, the one being permission marketing. Right? This idea that, you know, you, 
you kind of you get the customers you deserve and you get the prospects you deserve and you can't interrupt people anymore you have to deal with people when they want to um it's been seminal in my my marketing career and then secondly you know this idea of tribes or audience or of really connecting and you know it goes back to the kind of technium 1000 true fans and there's there's a bunch of different ways of talking about long tail you know there's a bunch of ways of talking about it but this idea of really staking your claim in, in a tiny little corner of the marketplace and becoming known in that marketplace is important um linchpin is you know we i didn't name it after the seth book or anything else but it, it's definitely i think we we you know our tagline is you know indispensable content marketing for startups so we want to be that indispensable partner that the linchpin that seth talks about in his book is what we want to be we want to be that that partner to a startup all great insights damien So we've now reached my favorite part of the show, the lightning round. And this is where I get to ask you a series of questions. And you come back at us, Fire Nation, with amazing and mind-blowing answers. Does that sound like a plan? That's that's a lot of pressure. (laughs) (laughs) What was holding you back from becoming an entrepreneur? I've shown entrepreneurial flashes my entire life. You know, as a kid, I did some crazy stuff entrepreneurially. But I think that the biggest thing is this kind of social pressure to follow the tried and true path, right? Go to school, get good grades, you know, pick a career field, climb the ladder, do that kind of thing. You know, is very well, even in a very entrepreneurial minded country like America, you're still, there's a lot of pressure to kind of, you know, color within the lines. Right. Um, and I think that whether it's there or not, you put it on yourself. Like you imagine it's there more than maybe it really is. But for me, that was a big one of you know, having quote unquote success in the corporate world almost becomes this, you know, demotivator to go out and do it on your own. Right. So for me, that was what's holding me back was saying, well, I understand the corporate world. You know, going out and doing it myself is, is the great unknown is scary. So that was probably the, the biggest fear I had at first. But for me, I just eventually had to chuck it in and give it a shot. No, I can resonate with that so well. Because in my mid-20s, I just seemed to be wanting to do stuff that I thought my family would be impressed with and my friends would be impressed with. And it really wasn't until I was able to get over the hump and realize that I needed to be doing something that was authentic with myself that I really started taking things to the next level. And I think that's just a hump that people need to get over in general, and we do it at different points in our lives, but it's definitely great when you can recognize that it's there and you can start to do something about it. Yep. So, Damien, what's the best business advice you ever received? So, I don't know where I heard this, and I really wish I could, you know, give this, you know, I I could properly give this to the person that told me, and I don't know if I've read it, or I don't know if I thought, I think I have this hazy memory of someone telling me this once. (laughs) <laughs> and it's, it's something I live by today, and it's something I tell my clients a lot, which is, you know, a company gets the customers it deserves. So if this idea that if you are, you know, looking to cut corners, if you are looking to, you know, not be authentic, if you are looking, you know, you're going to find your customers are inauthentic, your customers are not loyal to you, your customers are, now there's always the outliers, there's always people that, just, you know, but I didn't naturally think you know most people are good and you know, for, for me it seems to me the companies you get the customers you deserve i think apple's a great example of this right? you know you you get you know if you talk about you know as a company your ideas is that you know that form is as important as function and that it's not about cutting edge technology it's about usability it's about creating a user experience then the people you get as customers are more focused on user experience 
right? And I think that that happens, you know, without getting all kumbaya about it. I, I think that that happens culturally as well in a company. You know, and I've heard it several ways now. I've heard, you know, a company gets the employees it deserves, a company gets, and it's true. You know, I, I really do believe that. And I think that's great advice, whoever I got it from years ago. Great advice, great insights. A lot of Seth Godin in there for sure. Damien, do you have an internet resource like an Evernote that you're just in love with that you can share with Fire Nation? Trello. I don't know if someone's talked about it before, but I am in love with Trello. So um, I, I originally started playing with Trello. You know, if no one knows, it's a, it's a productivity app. But it's it's so much more than that. It's a you know it's a software as a service. It's a it's a SaaS app, but it's very kind of it, it's it's so simple it's so simple to use. It's it's very you, you don't realize how you know how in depth you can use this tool. So when you originally start originally started using it, it was just a very simple kind of little notes to myself. But I've basically replaced you know, three or four of our internal systems, um, Basecamp, other other software with just Trello now. Wow. It's how we. It's how we manage, you know, my personal to-do list. It's how we manage our operational to-do list, our content process, which is, you know, we have a five-step, you know, first draft, and an editor comes in and looks at it, and there's a kind of a, a the copy chief will take a look for tone and style, and it'll be rewritten. And so there's this, we have a very kind of defined content production schedule for when we're writing content for a customer. Um, we walk that that entire process is done through Trello, and it's a really interesting way to graphically make these almost. You know, imagine you know a digital three by five cards. Basically, you're kind of moving on a pin board. Um, you know, it's kind of like virtual corkboard. It's it's amazing. Big big fan. I am a huge. It's free, which is awesome. Um, and uh, you know, I I, I speak. Uh, I tell everyone I can about that. So great. Well, we will link that up in the show notes. If you could recommend a book for Fire Nation, what would it be? First, break all the rules by Marcus Buckingham. So Mar- Marcus Buckingham got he, he got well known years after this book by the strengths finder books, which were basically along the lines of, you know, focus on your strengths, don't focus on your weaknesses, um, helping people find their strengths. And they're all great. That's great. But this is before that. And what this book was, was essentially uh, Marcus and I forget his co-author's name worked for the Gallup organization. And so they had, you know, I don't know, they had years of, of research they'd done at all these different companies and all these different industries. And they were looking for the things that make successful business units. And they broke it down and found there was these 11 or 13, I can't remember exactly right now, but there, was, there's, there were all these kind of points that they all had inconsistency. And it wasn't about, you know, how, how, your, how the industry was growing or shrinking. It wasn't about, you know, everything. You know, they took high-performing business units in poorly-performing companies, but they had these things that were all in common. And some of them were things like, you know, as an employee, do you get to do the thing that you do best every day? And all these kind of little things. But one of the big things for me was, and I think it's probably the most important book for someone to read if, you know, as they become a manager or a team leader is, is this idea of, you know, leave some of these kindergarten ideas behind. Don't treat everyone the same. You don't treat all your team members the same. If you've got an A an A minus player and a D player, the, the natural inclination is to spend all this time trying to skill up the D player. That's a horrible way to spend your time. What you want to do is turn your A minus player into an A plus player. It'll have more impact on him and on your business. So these ideas of you know what we consider fairness and, and, and niceties are great, but that's not the way that business is successful or not. And so I think it's a, a great read for that. It's pretty quick, pretty small, but I, I tell everyone I can to, to read that first, break all the rules. Love the sound of it. So Damien, imagine you woke up tomorrow morning 
in a brand new world, identical to Earth, but you knew no one. You still have all the experience and knowledge you currently have. Your food and shelter is taken care of, but all you have is a laptop and $500. What would you do in the next seven days? Uh, you know, I thought about this one a lot. <laughs> in all reality, I would do exactly what I'm doing. I would recreate Village Pin. I would throw up a website. I would start blogging about content marketing for startups. And I would start reaching out to prospects about how, how I could help them. I, I really feel that, you know, what I'm currently doing is what I was meant to do, you know, to help, you know, startups gain traction and become profitable um, through marketing. It's what I've spent 20 years learning how to do. And uh, yeah, I, I would just do the same thing again. No, it's great to hear that answer because I keep coming back to the authentic self. And it's obvious that you found what you believe is your authentic self. And even if given the chance to wipe the slate clean, you would do it all over again. And that is powerful. So thank you for giving us that actionable advice, Damien. And you've given us actionable advice this entire interview, and we are all better for it. Give Fire Nation one parting piece of guidance, then tell us how we can connect with you, and then we'll say goodbye. My parting piece of guidance is, you know, I feel like a broken record a little bit, but it really does. It's the thing I fought against, but it's the most important thing is, is figure out what you can do, what, what you do as good as, doesn't have to be even better than someone else, um, and, and what you get, you know, enjoyment out of doing and find a market to do, to do that for. So, you know, don't be the SEO company for everybody. Be the SEO company for local real estate agents. That's the way to have success, in my opinion. Wonderful. And how can we connect with Lynchpin? So we're online at lynchpin.net. It's L-I-N-C-H-P-I-N.net. Uh, you can reach me. I'm a big Twitter guy. Uh, Twitter is at Damian Thompson. Um, and uh, if you want to send me an email, it's Damian at lynchpin.net. Damian, we will link all this up in the show notes. Thank you for being so generous with your time, your expertise, and your experience. Fire Nation salutes you, and we'll catch you on the flip side. Thanks, John. Fire Nation. My first book, Podcast Launch, is now live at Amazon. In this book, I share all and have created a step-by-step -step process for launching your podcast. The Fire bonus is 15 video tutorials that I included with the purchase. You join me as I walk us step-by-step -step through each process visually, and by the end, you will be a podcasting pro. Pick up your copy at podcastlaunch.com. Thank you for joining us at entrepreneuronfire.com, your daily dose of inspiration. Prepare to ignite.